Hello and welcome to Cannon and Cockrell. My name is Michael and I'm a Spurs fan. And I'm Jason and I'm an Arsenal fan. And this is the second in our Throwback Thursday series. In the last episode, we talked about the 4-4 draw. And today, rather unfortunately for me, we're going to be talking about the time Arsenal beat Tottenham 5-2, which unfortunately I have to specify which 5-2 we're talking about. Um, it was the first of them on the 26th of February 2012, which was Jason's choice. Um, Jason, why did you want to talk about this game in particular? Well, first of all, it's it's quite funny to say that your highlight um, game was the 4-4, a draw um, against your rivals, and I'm choosing a thrashing. So let's just uh, put that into perspective for a little bit. Um, it's just one of those derby games in modern history that, that shows the, showed the dominance of Arsenal. Not necessarily... I mean, it was a very good game, but not necessarily the biggest battle, um, but one that had everything really, you know, uh, goals, red cards, um, ex-players um, from different clubs involved, classic managers um, in Arsene and Harry, um, you know, a nice sunny day and some good finishes as well. So it, it kind of was a, was a total package as well and lots of talking points. And, um, you know, it's a good one to, to kick my side off, I think, because it, it kind of uh, really really hammers home the Arsenal advantage, I'd say. Interesting. I'd like to point out that I, I thought starting with a 4-4 draw would be a nice neutral way of starting, but I will definitely be sure to pick uh, a Tottenham win for the, the next time uh, Next time we talk. Not many to pick from, I'm afraid. I remember this going into this game because we were 10 points ahead of Arsenal and it was looking like this might finally be, for the first time in my lifetime, the first season where we finished above you. And I remember thinking, what we really need in this game is an early goal. If we get an early goal, we can really kill off their confidence and, and score a hatful and maybe even thrash them. And we, we got exactly what I wanted with Louis Zaha putting us ahead, a player who a lot of people might have forgotten played for Tottenham. And then we went 2-0 up with Adebayor, of all people, scoring a penalty. And I remember rubbing my hands together, thinking, this is it. This is great. We're going to thrash them. But then everything sort of unraveled from there. I mean, when we were 2-0 up, I suspect you must have been fearing the worst, given the, the gap there was in the table at that point. I mean, this is where all the mind the gap stuff started from when we were so far ahead of you. Um, do you remember how you felt at the start of this game, going into this game? And then what happened that, that meant it, it turned around so dramatically? I mean, during those days, I always felt, you know, that we were going to get a result. That was the the Arsenal team that, even though the players, the personnel weren't the class that we had before, and the manager wasn't quite as up to scratch as he had been, you thought, this is history. You know, we finish above Spurs, we beat Spurs. That's how it is, especially at home. Um, we knew our defensive vulnerabilities, so when someone like Sahar scores, you know, you do expect it. Um it felt quite classic Arsenal to me, the way they started this game, because, you know, giving all the space in the world and ex-players involved in the build-up um, in Adjibayor, almost like they, they were wary of um, him from the City days, his kind of aggression, his, um, his ability to make something out of nothing against his rivals. Um, and yeah, yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it, was, it was frustrating. You know, Bale doing exactly what he, what he do, does best. Um, you know, all that space and, uh, sorry, not Bale, um, Sahar. I forgot Bale even played for you um, all these years later. Um, but, you know, again, defensive error, deflection, looked all a bit hapless and, and no surprises there. So I guess going into an Arsenal game, whether you're playing um, 
from Bournemouth to Villa to Spurs to United, you expect um, a mistake to happen um, and a lucky goal. And that's certainly what the opposition got. And then to see Adebayor scoring against you again, I mean, how did that feel, seeing him in a Spurs shirt, first of all, and then having him come to the Emirates and, and score against you? Well, it was so similar to that first goal. Just an easy through ball by Modric and no pressing. And, and it's funny, um, Arteta was involved in that. Our, our current captain, uh, manager, rather, shouting for handballs and then Song was standing off. And they're all kind of... It's, it was one of the worst midfield pivots I've ever seen in my life. And they just, you know, they let him through. They gave away the penalty. And and, and I wonder why they gave Adi by all that penalty. He wouldn't have seemed the natural penalty taker to me. Um in that team, in that Spurs lineup, you know, I would have thought Van der Vaart would be with the one the first up. Um, albeit he was on the bench, but but uh, Cranchar even, uh, Bale, Sahar, Modric. I, I, I don't know why Eddie Bowl. Maybe it was to rile the fans, but yeah, seeing him in a Spurs shirt, it didn't hurt because we knew the player he was then. He wasn't the player, same player he was at Arsenal. Certainly not um, at City and. Uh, but it, but it was gutting, you know, to, to, to see a player who you once loved in a rival shirt. Um, it does hurt. But um, I think, you know, karma hit him um, with the way his career declined very quickly in terms of playing ability. Um, but it's frustrating. It was really frustrating, especially to put them 2-0 up and to, you know, for him to celebrate. And uh, it hurts, especially at the home ground, as I'm sure you I'm sure you know um, from from. A lot of previous players obviously scoring against you because you you notoriously were a bit of a selling club back in the day. Back in the day, we were indeed. Yeah, not so much anymore. Um, but you talked about Arsenal's uh, defensive frailties uh, earlier, but I think Tottenham's were definitely summed up as well in this game. Well, even more so. And particularly the fact that, was it Bakary Sanya with a header who got you back into the game? I mean, how many headers did Bakary Sanya, even goals, did he score for you in his time at the club? I don't seem to remember there being that many. It seems a very Spursy thing to to let him score against us. I was thinking about that when I watched the goal back. That he wasn't really known for that. He did score a few, but he was especially being that centre in the box. So it kind of felt like he was doing something of his own accord. And that that for me kind of summed up the decline of Wenger's era. That players were suddenly doing things that they weren't built to do. And if you know he's all right back, why is he suddenly playing centre forward? <laughs> It was a good goal, you know, an assist from our manager, as silky as his current hairstyle. Um, and Sanya, you know, there was no one even around him. Um, so what you can guarantee with Spurs, I suppose, like Arsenal, is a is a cheap goal to, to get you back into the game. And I think it came at the perfect time, five minutes before half-time, and really gave us that momentum to, to start a comeback. Yeah, and then to actually equalise and bring it back level before half-time with that Van Persie goal. And actually one... I was reading an interview a few weeks ago with Fabio Capello and he was talking about the England-Germany game at the World Cup and the Frank Lampard goal that obviously wasn't given, which would have made it 2-2 just before half-time, having been 2-0 down. And he was saying how you can't underestimate the psychological impact that would have had on what was then quite a young German team to have been 2-0 up right at the start of the game and then lose that lead before half-time. And even though I don't think England would have gone on to win that game 5-2 because they were by far the, the worst team and they probably still would have lost anyway. When I was then looking back at, at this game for this and how much of an impact it did seem to have on us to, to lose that lead before half-time 
and the extent to which we collapsed in, collapsed in the second half, it oddly made me reevaluate that England-Germany game again. And made me think maybe England would have won if, if that Lampard... Because I used to think even if that Lampard goal had been given, England would have lost just because of how dominant Germany were in that game. But when you look back at a game like this, where we were 2-0 up and then you levelled it 2-2 before half-time and then what happened in the second half, it, it's strange. And, and do you think that psychologically that was what did it for Arsenal that day? Do you think if we'd gone in still ahead at half time that the game would have panned out differently i think you have to you know you have to take things as they are we can't we can't uh predict um based on on those kind of um peculiarities i mean with that england game for example i think i think they still i still think they would have beaten us no matter what i think they were the, just so class that germany team um with all that young talent and we just weren't up to the races but in this case i mean it's a different team talk Harry Redknapp's giving if they're still 2-1 up, you know, uh, sharpen up, go for them. Um, instead, Arsenal did get that that uh, momentum. And, you know, I think for his defenders, um, in Kabul, I believe it's Kabul and Asukota, there was a bit of a mix-up. And, you know, suddenly he has to focus on why am I defence suddenly making mistakes rather than focusing on the midfields and attacking. So it changed the team talk and kind of the tactical shifts that, Harry Redknapp may have been um, may have been planning to change, and you know when when you see someone like Van Persie do something so special on the ball, um, bear in mind that was his 29th goal of the season by February. Kind of sums up how good he was. Um, you know, I'm not surprised that Spurs probably went in a bit shook up um, because they'd seen uh, what what class actually looked like just before half time, and uh, you know, it's it's a uh, as a Spurs fan, I'm sure it's a shame because you have that that daylight. You know, change change the tactics mid game, tighten up, and don't concede. Um, but yeah, I think I think I think you've got to say that goal um, before half time certainly put us on our way. And I think uh, it was the Rizicki goal just after half time that really um, that really uh, put the spanner in the works uh, for Spurs. Well, you mentioned Redknapp there then, and w- one thing that. What I remember this game being is the beginning of the end of Harry Redknapp at Tottenham. And a lot of people who aren't Spurs fans can't understand why it was that Redknapp was sacked. This game is why. And this game is emblematic of why. The way we collapsed in the second half, I don't know what he was doing at halftime, but we know that Redknapp wasn't the most tactically sophisticated manager. I remember Raphael van der Vaart, not in a critical way, but just he, he's a said he was a big fan of Harry Redknapp, but just speaking honestly about him, said he wasn't someone who would tend to use the tactics board in the dressing room. He was much more of a motivator, man management, and that was what he was great at. But tactically, under even under him, when we were doing well, we would always get thrashed in the, the big games. You know, we lost a champ, um, FA Cup semi-final to Chelsea under him 5-1. There was a game against Man United under him where we were 2-0 up and lost 5-2. Again, I think similar to this Arsenal game lost 5-1 to Manchester City, we would regularly get thrashed by the top teams and it would only be our form against the middle half of the table or lower half table teams, which meant we would be challenging for the Champions League. And it was around this time that he was putting himself out there for the England job. Capello, who I just mentioned, wasn't England manager anymore. And the, the prevailing narrative was Redknapp's going to get the England job. It's his job to lose. And he was openly you know, calling for it. And I remember at the time being you know, understanding it, because obviously it's a huge job for any English manager to have, and clearly one he, he'd wanted his whole career, but also being a little bit annoyed at the extent to which he was 
openly courting a, another job. And I think it did have a, a destabilizing effect on the team. And I think his maybe lack of focus coupled with his tactical inadequacies meant that we collapsed in the second half of this game and then our season collapsed. And okay, we still finished fourth at the end of the season, but there's no way with the 10 point gap we had and how good we were that season that we should have finished below Arsenal or finished outside of the top three. I think a better manager with that group of players could have been challenging for the title. And I actually think Redknapp up front had a better team than Pochettino. You know, you, some of the players you mentioned, Gareth Bale, Luka Modric, Rafael van der Vaart. He had more than one out-and-out striker to call upon, which Pochettino didn't for, for most of his time at the club. And I just think that, OK, yeah, we finished fourth and we didn't qualify for the Champions League because Chelsea won it and they'd finished sixth. And people said, oh, it's just bad luck. What can you do? Chelsea winning the Champions League. You know, you finished top four. He couldn't do any more. But when you look at that season as a whole, there's no way we should have finished fourth. We should have been comfortable in the top three. And I think this this game completely then wrecked our season obviously Arsenal made up the 10 point gap you finished above us and we were watching that Champions League final hoping that, that Bayern Munich did us a favour and, and obviously we, we all know what happened with Chelsea and, and Redknapp you know said what could I do not my fault we finished fourth it, it was his fault there's no way we should finish fourth and and this game completely ruined the season so I remember it for that the, the beginning of the end of Redknapp and also the beginning of the end of Ledley King, who when you look at some of the goals in the second half, particularly the one scored by Theo Walcott, I think you could see Ledley King's body finally catching up with him for a long-term injury. He, he just couldn't do it anymore. And it was quite sad, I remember, at the time, watching him really struggling in this game, particularly with the pace of Walcott. And I think this was Ledley King's last season. I don't remember him playing under Andre Villas-Boas the next season. I think he retired. And I think this match, you could you could see why. So maybe... Rather controversially for, for Spurs fans or others, my little red napper rant, but that is what I remember uh, this game for. And this second half was, yeah, very painful, embarrassing viewing at the time. But I suspect for you, Jason, with Arsenal, you were absolutely on cloud nine. Absolutely. Cloud cloud 11, actually. Cloud 11. Um, just before I go on to that, you're kind of saying about how, you know, you should have finished third and, you know, um, there was no excuse, really. But when I look at that Spurs lineup, I mean, there are players I can point out and think maybe you were pushing above your weight because Brad Friedel was not his peak. Kabul was a lower half player at best. King was finished. Asuakotu the same as Kabul. Um Sahar as well. Again, I don't know what you were doing there. I don't think the squad was as good as Spurs fans thought from the outside. And I'm sure you could say exactly the same for Arsenal. I mean, I never thought Kajoni was up to the job. Gibbs certainly wasn't. Um, Song at times, Ben Ayun. I mean, it, it was a it was a crazy lineup. And if you hear some of the players on this bench, Chu Young Park never got a game. Jenkinson basically never got a game. Javinho couldn't hit a barn door. Chamak ditto. And Ignazi Mikel. I mean, it's 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 average city. Um, so, you know, I thought both of us, to be honest, on paper, probably didn't deserve to even get in that top four this year, that year. So it was probably a miracle in a way. And uh, I would have actually called you quite lucky, or called both of us quite lucky, um, if you hadn't had that uh, brilliant uh, Chelsea side win um, against Bayern Munich. But yeah, back to the game and uh, my cloud nine as such. I mean, the little Mozart. Rizicki. It reminds me a little bit of 
that Ledley King. In fact, he kind of an underrated player due to their injuries. And, you know, everyone would say what could have been. And he was a brilliant little player. And uh, I, I always, when I think about Brzezicki, I always think a bit about him being like a, like driving a car, like your gear sticks. The way you watch him, he, he starts slowly and he kind of, he goes into second, he starts passing the ball, he gets into third, he's starting to jog, gets into fourth, he's running and he gets into five and he, sh- he shoots and scores. And I'm, I know you can use that analogy for a lot of players, but it was the way in which he, he used his energy and, and he kind of created these slow sparks of energy into goals. Um, you know, the way he drove through midfield for that goal and, you know, a lovely poke um, through the keeper to, to, to make it 3-2. And that, that sort of goal... You know, everyone's been refreshed. There's been a team talk. Everyone's motivated um, on both sides, you'd hope. And suddenly Spurs are down. Their heads are down thinking, oh, my God, what have we done? Arsenal thinking, here we go. Wenger's words, the team's words. Um, we're ready to go. Um, and then the, the mighty Theo Walcott um, goes and finishes it all. I mean, um, I mean, it's one thing thinking about, you know, Van Persie again, holding the ball up, twisting, Theo's rapid pace and that kind of uh, dinky finish was brilliant and I was I was thinking about it um I think a couple of days ago actually about what a waste Theo Walcott really was I mean I was I was watching the 5-3 Arsenal game at Stamford Bridge and he scored this brilliant goal do you remember it where he 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 fell over about midway through the ha- um midway between the halfway line and the box he fell he was running and he fell over and then he jumped up he jumps up, like flicks the ball between his feet, gets past another two defenders and rockets it past Czech. And it was like, you know what? If he just had that management, um, like so many other Arsenal players, he could have been something very special. Um, and, you know, to go 4-2 up in a derby at home um, is truly, it's exciting. I think, I believe I was there. I believe I was at that game. And just just the, the buzz in the stadium and that that feeling that you're, you know, the three-two. You're thinking, oh God, no, don't concede. When you get to four-two, you're thinking, right, let's let's go and uh, show them that we we're, we're the only team in North London, and we certainly did that. Um, do, you, do you remember that? Do you remember the fifth goal? I think I, I've blocked out so much of, of this game. <laughs> this is such a painful, painful memory. I try, I try not to think about it. Well, let me remind you, it was a beautiful song, uh, song ball, um, and Alex Song seemed to be known for that. Um, and that's a testament to Wenger. You know, he changed him from from kind of a hapless box-to-box player to suddenly this this, this world beater. And that's probably what got him that that strange move to Barcelona, where obviously all the players wanted to award him the trophy ahead of Eric Abidal um, to lift the trophy that year. Um, and it reminds me of a goal that that Van Persie scored. Do you remember a goal against Everton where he dinked it over the whole defence and, and Van Persie volleyed it first time and it was it was kind of that sort of ball and and uh you know Theo just just used his pace and slotted with ease again so it was a it was an easy goal if you like and I, it looked a bit like Spurs had given up by then they looked exhausted and they looked like they'd succumb to the mighty Arsenal so it was uh it was a special moment I think when it, when a player scores I think it was only three minutes after as well between the fourth and fifth goal um he wasn't playing particularly well so everyone and he was one of those guys everyone wanted to do well one of those players in the club so that was really exciting that he'd been scoring he scored good goals that we were beating spurs 5-2 after the whole scenario um so it was a really exciting game for, for us and um you know it kind of feels like a million miles away because i couldn't see us doing that anytime soon 
um, based on kind of the discipline that obviously a Mourinho team would have now, um, but also the personnel you have wouldn't allow that, in my opinion. I suppose the closest we got to it recently was our very first episode of this podcast where you beat us 4-2. That had a, a similar sort of feeling to it. It reminded me a lot of this game at, at the time. I think I think we were 2-1 ahead even at half time, weren't we? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I believe that. Came out and scored three goals in the second half and, and, and we can completely collapse. So maybe if I'm being as, as critical as I was at, at Harry Redknapp, I have to be critical to, to Pochettino as well who was manager at the time and maybe you know that was indicative of of where we were heading um under him you know that season we were very lucky to finish in the top four it, it was only because of Arsenal um bottling it that, that we did so and obviously the run to the Champions League final papered over those cracks but going back to this game obviously from an Arsenal perspective you have a lot of positive things to, to look at and analyze but for us it's just um an unforgivable collapse that as I said was indicative of broader issues at the club at the time and it was interesting when we talked about the 4-4 we talked about it as being the, the beginning of Tottenham's road to overtaking Arsenal but this game shows how how that road didn't exactly run smooth and there were lots of stop starts and false dawns along the way until eventually we got there under Pochettino and really this should have been a defining game for, for the other way for, you know for us to to put down that marker and and get that dominance but I think the way in which Arsenal celebrated it, I think even though from your perspective at the time, it was, oh, you know, this is proof we're still the best team in North London, we'll always be better than Tottenham, da 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 Given everything else that was happening around Arsenal at the time, I think this was actually the start of your mentality changing in terms of how you approached North London derby, because it used to be that, that Tottenham weren't really given a second thought by Arsenal. We weren't uh, competitors for you, we weren't competitors for the top four or for major honours. But overturning this 10-point deficit in the league and this lead in this game and this victory seemed to be such a huge moment for Arsenal's own self-esteem to kind of prove to yourselves that you were still good, given how far you've fallen from where you were under peak Wenger. I think this was the start of you starting to take the derby almost more seriously than we did. You starting to approach it like the smaller club and you celebrating a victory over Tottenham like a cup final rather than celebrating actual achievements, if that makes sense. Because in this season, I don't think you won anything. It was kind of in that era where finishing top four was presented to you as a trophy by Wenger, and that was the thing. And there was this broader disillusionment. And it seemed like beating Tottenham took on so much more significance than it otherwise would have done because of that context. And actually, when I look back at this game now, I almost see it as the beginning of Arsenal starting to change their approach to the derby and starting to, yeah, behave almost like the smaller club in a derby does, you know, like the way West Ham fans behave towards Spurs when they beat them because it, it means so much more. And the way we used to behave when we beat you because it used to mean so much more because it was all we had. I wonder whether, I mean, you might not accept that, but do you think at that time that Arsenal were, this win meant so much more because of how far you'd fallen to, to where you were? I think I can agree with that. And the more I think about that, the more it makes sense that, you know, it, it's uh, you show more passion when you care. I think it's usually the consensus in life. So that does make sense. But but on the other side, I mean, this was the start of something a little bit different. Uh, Wenger's last win as Arsenal manager, where a, a year and a half later, we won our first FA Cup out of those three and four years, I believe. So it's, it kind of, uh, I, 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 can, uh, I can understand that maybe, maybe 
our complacency spurred us on in a way. We, we knew that we'd fallen and, and there was a little bit more team spirit. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it, it still feels strange for me as an Arsenal fan because I was used to at the beginning of my Arsenal sporting days, those first four years, you know, it was, it was Arsenal all over. Spurs were nowhere and they came out of nowhere. Um, we didn't keep up. Um, they were clever with their, their purchases and their youth policies. And, you know, they weren't afraid to change their manager. And I think, I think if we brought in a manager earlier, we wouldn't have had to have that fear because we would have thought we were going to take the game to Spurs a bit more and be more confident. And it kind of goes back to that phase of, you know, we could have had Pep Guardiola potentially or, or Jurgen Klopp um, around that time. Um, and Wenger was eight years too late. So there's, there's still a bit of regret because even though beating five, Spurs 5-2 is amazing, um, I would have loved to beat everyone 5-2 and, and go and challenge for the league title. So this whole era that we've kind of been talking about um, the past couple of weeks is is um, it, 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 it's tinged with a little bit of regret. Um, not something I could personally do or Arsenal fans could personally do, um, but perhaps the club could have changed things earlier. Um, and how, how about on your side? How, how do you, when you think about these days, how does it feel? Does it feel like, you know, if only we had done X, Y and Z, we could have done X, Y and Z? Or, or do, do, you, does it fill you with a little bit of nostalgia um, for the days when you weren't working with um, with that man Mourinho with the buses and all? Well, it's interesting because I actually think I look back at the Redknapp era almost as more of a missed opportunity than the Pochettino era. I know under Pochettino, we got to a Champions League final, which we, we lost and we got the closest we have since the 60s to, to winning a title. But Redknapp got to two FA Cup semi-finals, a League Cup final, uh, lost all of them. And I, know, I, I agree with what you were saying about the defence not being good enough. I think certainly his, his defensive players weren't as good as his attacking players. But when you consider the talent at his disposal with Bale and Modric, Van der Vaart, even Adebayor, who might not have been at his best, but was still a great striker on his day. And I just think we, you know, there, was, there never seemed to be that pressure on, on Redknapp to win a trophy the same way that there was with Pochettino, even though Pochettino had a much younger, less experienced side. And I think Redknapp did bring in some experienced players with, with Brad Friedel and, and Scott Parker and even Louis Saha. And I think and he himself had more experience as a manager. And when I look back at the Redknapp era, yes, we, we, we qualified for the Champions League for the first time and broke that glass ceiling. And I think that had a huge impact going forwards and off on our future. But I think he could have done so much better with those players. The fact that they, they didn't win a trophy. You know, people criticised Pochettino for never having won a trophy, but neither did Redknapp. And I guess he, he was, because he got us to the Champions League for the first time, there wasn't that same expectation on him to win trophies, but he still had a team that was more than good enough to do so. And they, they fell at the, the final hurdle as well. So I, I also look back on it with a bit of regret. I mean, I look back with nostalgia on that, that run to the Champions League quarterfinals and seeing the likes of Modric and, and Bale and particularly Van der Vaart playing for us. But this game and, and the collapse in this season, I think, is, is really a, a sore point for me personally because I think that really should have been a season when we pushed on and kicked on and, and achieved something. I think it might have even been the same season when we lost that uh, FA Cup semi-final to Chelsea 5-1. So it really did just seem like we collapsed to our our nearest rivals and, and missed out on, well, both a trophy and Champions League qualification, which Chelsea uh, had instead. They got to the FA Cup final and won it and they 
they took our, our Champions League spot. So, yeah, I look, I look back on it rather uh, mournfully. And I think it's it's strange that, that Redknapp didn't get the same criticism as, as Pochettino in terms of not winning trophies. But it's interesting that this 5-2 was then followed by mm. another 5-2 the next season under Andre Villas-Boas and how I don't look back at that 5-2 with anywhere near the same regret and embarrassment as I do this 5-2. I don't know whether it's because this 5-2, as I said, started a, a broader collapse and, and the other 5-2 was more, more at the beginning of the season. So it, it felt like a team that was kind of growing rather than one that was falling apart. They felt like two very different matches and two very different feelings, even though it was the same scoreline. I wonder for you whether, for similar reasons, the first 5-2 is, is much more fondly remembered by Arsenal than the second 5-2. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all, it's all relative to kind of investment as well. Um, so, you know, if if, um, if Spurs didn't invest as much money and, and then they get that sort of result. Um, but in terms of that 5-2, I mean, yeah, it was more exciting because it was the first time we did it, I think. I think that, that's, that's it for us. I think the second time wasn't as much of a novelty, but... Obviously, it was as good a performance, in my opinion, and maybe even better because it wasn't. We didn't have to to fall behind so badly again um, to do so. But um, you know, it, it's something as a fan again to have those two in a row. It really was. A, we were really able to have the bragging rights to say that wasn't a fluke. That was uh, Arsenal still class. And I, it's funny because I think after that, it was never really the same like that. It was never that that dominant, a real dominant derby thrashing. Um, I would say, but um, yeah, they're, they're good. They're good memories for me as, a, as an Arsenal fan. I'm sure they are, and as you said, it 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 wasn't really the same since, and I'm glad because um, I think yeah, the four-two last season is probably the the most emphatic scoreline we've had in any North London derby since. I think there have been quite tight games ever since then. Where if there has been a winner, it's been two-nil or two-one rather than a than a 5-2 I mean obviously 4-2 in terms of goal difference is the same as a 2-0 but in terms of the number of goals conceded it does seem like the North London derbies have become a lot more competitive since then I wonder how long it will be until we get another scoreline as, as big as a 5-2 particularly as you said with the likes of Mourinho in charge although we haven't been as defensively solid under him as perhaps people would have expected but who knows what the two teams will be like when they're back from this um, enforced break I was going to say, I believe there's one that, that will come up eventually and uh, hopefully the um, the quarantined rest will, will help us uh, come back. Hopefully so. And I suppose, having discussed a draw and an Arsenal victory, our <laughs> next episode should probably focus on a Spurs win. And I think there is a, a, a one that involved five goals, which I might save, the Carlin Cup 5-1. For a later date, I think the one I'm going to pick is the 3-2 win when we were 2-0 down at half-time. Another example of a 2-0 deficit being overturned at the Emirates, but this time for the, the team in white instead of the team in red. So we can look forward to talking about that one very very soon. That was a horrible, horrible one, I remember. So uh, I'll, I won't enjoy um, <laughs> going through the, the motions with that, but I'll certainly enjoy trying to play devil's advocate, I'm sure.